I'm Guy Michaels, voiceover artist and director of the training platform VoiceOver Kickstart. In this, our sixth episode, I'm talking with voiceover studio tech George Whittam. We discover that we are very much in alignment on the priorities of a voiceover, setting up and working from a home studio. These days, a pro VO needs to strive to be a pro engineer to serve the project and stand the chance of repeat work. Only a small percentage of VOs worldwide are actually achieving this. For more golden advice and resources, head to voiceoverkickstart.com. Hi, George. Thanks so much for coming on with us today. Hey, it's a pleasure. Nice to meet you, and uh, I love being a part of a new venture. This is exciting. Excellent. So can you can we start off by just hearing a little bit about your journey? You know, I'm very much aware, as I know a lot of voiceovers over here uh, in the UK, as, a, as well as, of course, in the States, are aware of you and your technical expertise. But what was your journey to that? You know, what was your, how did you get into the voiceover side of things in the first place? Well, as journeys can be, it was pretty long, but uh, I won't get too into the weeds. But I will say that I've always been more interested in audio than video, although video has always been a fun side pastime. And um, uh, I was going into electrical engineering at Virginia Tech, but I didn't like math, it turns out, (laughs) at least not the level I needed to learn. And um, I had a music background, so I ended up auditioning and getting into the music school after a couple of years at Virginia Tech and graduating with a music degree. And also a sidebar of that, I was also studying audio technology. So I have a music with audio technology degree and a communications minor for what it's worth. Took that out of Virginia Tech and instead of interning at a, well, I interned at a studio in Philly and it was a horrible experience. I was like, I never want to be stuck in one of these rooms with these a-holes on drugs ever again. And so that was the end of that. And I started a recording business with my dad. And it was built into a camper or a caravan or an RV, whatever you guys call it over there, a motorhome. And uh, I recorded remotes all around Philadelphia, where I was living at the time. Flash forward now, that business wasn't doing so hot and I had an opportunity to move to L.A. So I moved to L.A. where I started doing production mixing for film and television because that's the work that I was able to find in Los Angeles. And that was puttering along. And then through connections I'd made back in Philly, ended up landing in a studio of a prominent voice actor here in the LA area named Howard Parker, who I couldn't have asked for a better first voiceover client because that guy skyrocketed to the top of the world of promo. And he was, he's to this day still killing it. And that made me realize I need to focus on this voiceover technology thing. Um, Big client that landed after him that really cemented my business was Don LaFontaine. He has since passed over 12, 10, 11 years ago now, but he uh, really was like what we called the voice of God for movie trailers. And uh, I didn't know at the time, but once I started working with him, I realized, oh yeah, this is a big freaking deal. Um, I should be doing this full time. I need to drop everything I'm doing. Um, And what really killed it for me was when he told me, George, nobody's helping me with this stuff. There's nobody that gets it. They set up my studio and then disappear. I'm like, what the heck's their problem? So I made a business out of it. And now it's been 12 years doing nothing but audio for voiceover and a little bit of podcasters as well. And that, you know, that's the short, <laughs> the Cliff's Note version. That's uh, interesting. I um I actually originally wanted to be an audio engineer. This was um so about 25 years ago. Me too. And um, <laughs> and I remember I remember going to my local college 
just to sort of see what, like it was, there was an open evening and I was just going along having a look at what courses they had on offer. And I, and I was a rubbish guitarist and, uh, you know, I, I, and I was very much interested in the tech side. I'd, I had an Atari ST and I, and I dabbled in MIDI and, and whatever at the time. And I, I went was along a mediocre this... trumpet player who was too lazy to practice. So. <laughs> right, okay. And uh, so I went along to this um, open evening and I remember sort of, sort of just sitting there and speaking to this woman. She said, um, okay, what, what, what's, what's your instrument? I said, well, you know, guitar, but you know, I'm, I'm not that great now. I'm more interested in the sort of tech side. And she said, okay, what, what grades have you got? I said, grades? She said, yeah, yeah, we need, we need at least grade eight on at least one instrument. I said, no, 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 you, you, you get me wrong here. I, I'm not coming here because I, I don't want to actually play the stuff. I want to do the tech side. She said, no, 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 to do the tech course, you have to have a grade eight, at least on one instrument. What? So it totally put me off the whole thing. Totally put me off the whole thing. And then I went, um, she said, what else are you interested in? I said, well, I've been doing a lot of drama, you know, a lot of am amateur dramatic stuff. And I'm interested in that as well. She said, well, you know, pop over there. So I popped to the desk opposite and I signed up for this acting course which was a huh. year long. And then I went off to London, went to drama school, did the three years. Then I did, <laughs> alongside that, you ended up doing my sort of typical kind of touring actor, living out of a suitcase theatre stuff. But I was also doing voiceover stuff at the same time. And here we are, fast forward 25 years. It's now that, for me, finally, it's that combination of, yeah, okay, I had the acting, the theatre background. Then I learned the ropes in a total DIY capacity yeah. In that I'm I feel like I'm sort of slightly sticking two fingers up to the person who told me that I couldn't become this audio engineer 25 years ago because I didn't have grade eight in that instrument, which to me at the time just seemed ridiculous. You know, it's so funny. That story is so in parallel in a way with me because I went to, uh, to Virginia Tech. If I wanted to be an audio engineer, I had to study music. I had to have an instrument. I had to practice and play in groups. And I did. And it wasn't all terrible, but I, they could tell. The head of the music school could tell I didn't want to be studying music. It basically let me float on the performance side because I was so driven to, to study the engineering side. Uh, they didn't have an audio engineering program. So yeah, it was a, about that long ago too. So it's, it's so fascinating how, how similar those stories started. And here we are today doing audio for, for, for video and voiceover and stuff. And Very yeah, much we don't, so. we Very don't much have so. to have music. I'm glad I had some music. Really, I am. I'm glad to have the ear training. And, and, and I'm glad to have that context, but yeah, I'm not shedding five, six hours a day on an instrument, not my soul. That's for sure. No, no I mean, some of the best voiceovers I've ever worked with. Um, I mean, I, 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 although I say, oh, I'm rubbish on the guitar. I am musical to an extent. And I think that definitely yeah. helps with the voiceover side, because I know that the most, some of the best voiceovers I've ever worked with are musical. Yeah. They are also yeah. singers or sing. instrumentalists. Yeah, yeah, they've got they've got the rhythm and they can they've got the the, the dynamic range and they and they've got the control yep. and the and the, an understanding of melody and and just mm -hmm. time timing and everything and that of course can be really useful. But um, sure, yeah, that is interesting. A lot, lot of parallels there. Um, yeah. So I'm going to dive straight in with this one. So what is the here we are? What's the biggest technical challenge facing VOs today? <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely um, understanding how important acoustics and noise control in their studio is. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I've been known studying this stuff for years, and I know this is a podcast, but I just bought a book on Amazon for $100 called Acoustics and Noise Control because I'm constantly needing to learn more about this field so I can stay, stay being 
a quote unquote expert on this. You know, I didn't study acoustics in college. I didn't get a physics degree. Like it, it's again, very high level mathematics. Everything I've learned has been completely on uh, in a real world scenario, experimenting, repetition, trying things, you know, time and time and time and time and time again. And that's where I've gained my experience. So I can't expect a voice actor to have done that, but they do need to work with somebody who does understand the unique environment of a home voiceover booth that's oftentimes way too small, um, a little closet, a little box, and they need to get that sorted because uh, in the States, I know that for sure, and I've worked with all these companies, there is basically no company that makes a booth or an ISO booth that's tuned for voiceover acoustically correctly. So it is very much elusive, not only to the actors out there, but to the companies that even make the products, how to make these spaces sound right. So that is really the hardest thing. And, you know, and add into that dealing with background noise. That certainly is very difficult. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if our interview today is interrupted by noise outside my apartment here in Venice, California, which is anything but soundproof. <laughs> well, we're all dealing with it, aren't we? You know, I, I yeah. work with a lot, of, uh, a lot of folk who... And when we start talking about soundproofing or sound conditioning and, and uh, you know, the difference between the two and how the two work together, um, I, I would often say to them, well, soundproofing is not possible. <laughs> it's something that you attempt. You, you know, you do your best to, to attenuate mm-hmm. uh, that sound coming into the space. You do, but do yourself a favor by choosing the, the quietest space in the home to begin with. Yeah. Uh, and work from there. But a lot of the advice out there uh, ends up becoming a little bit, I suppose, academic. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you, you know, you've got to put the time in, haven't you, to develop your ear. Yeah. Um, and it's you like have to you know read... what it's supposed to sound like. Yeah, you, exactly. You have to be a student of the product that you're producing. It'd be like learning jazz and not listening to Miles Davis or any of the other jazz masters and say, I'm going to be a jazz artist. You're not going to get anywhere. All my friends who are musicians that are masters at their craft have thousands of CDs and have listened to more music than I'll hear in my lifetime, right? Because, and and voiceover is the same. You have to really know the craft and what the sound sounds like. What are you achieving? And most people I work with don't know what it's supposed to sound like yet. So that's a big part of it. If you can't tell the difference between your own current sound and what it's supposed to sound like, well, then put the time in. It's like when you read, and I read something recently about, um, you know, choice of, of microphones. Right. Uh, and all these you know, forums worldwide. My most hated obsessed. question. Oh, I, I can't stand it. And can't stand it. Stand it. You know, these forums worldwide that where people become obsessed with, with what microphone to buy or people giving yeah. them advice left, right, and center. But one of the things I read the other day, which was, um, and it was a piece of advice to an absolute beginner, someone who didn't know the back end of a mic. And it said... Oh, yeah, well, just go to the store and try loads out. Okay, but what would I be listening for? That's that's somebody who has no fashion sense being told to go to, you know, Barney's and just try on some clothes. Yeah, see what fits. See what fits. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, something I often say to to the people that I work with is, you know, there is so much advice out there now. We live in a world of answers. There's so much advice out there. You need advice on what advice to take. And that's the role that you play. Oh, I try um, so hard to make sure people get the right information. And I and I yeah, interject yeah. much to my own wasted time and parallel peril into Facebook group conversations incessantly correcting misinformation. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm like yeah. everywhere. I can't stop. Yeah. It's an obsession. Yeah. I need to stop <laughs> doing it. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've managed to kind of wean myself off it. Um, what's the what's the most common? So apart from that, then, and it actually, you might end up giving me the same answer. But what's the most common question you are asked as a tech expert? Is it the what microphone shall I buy? Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Well, I would say it, it is often what microphone should I buy? But usually by the time they've chosen to work with me, they've heard about a lot of these things already tangentially through the shows that I do and the podcasts and, the, you know, all this stuff. So they already kind of have a primer and they go, oh, yeah, I know that I have to do these things, but how do I do it? So by the time they work with me, often it's like, yeah, I think I, I think I sound like I'm in a box, but I don't know what to do about it. Or I did the best I could with the knowledge that I gathered by Googling and watching YouTube videos, but it still sounds like I'm in a box and I don't, I don't know I don't know why. So that is really what people come to me most is, how do I get this whatever space that I'm stuck with uh, to sound as good as possible? Um, you know, and I see this all the time as well. I get their audio, I listen to it, I give them notes and they go, oh, you don't think it sounds good? I keep booking. So that's the funny thing is, you know, what I know sounds good as a professional audio tech and what their clients is accept, find acceptable don't line up a lot, too. So then they, yeah. they can spend months, if not even years, booking, you know, some work and eking out some existence and sending in crappy audio and not even really knowing it. So that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a lot of it. What it's about is raising the bar of the quality, yeah. but at the same time, not making them spend telling them they have to spend $10,000, you know, that it's sometimes incredibly practical stuff that they can do to make it sound better. Yeah. Well, there's a balance to be had, isn't there? Like with everything. Yeah. So it's the classic, oh, oh, I've never had any complaints. Okay. Yeah. So just because you've never had any complaints from the uh, clients that you're currently booking with, does that mean that you should stand still? No, it means that you should still continue to refine your quality and everything about mm -hmm. your business in general. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, most definitely. So um, I, I, I'm going to quote you, if I may, uh -oh. from October 2009. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> okay. So here, here it is. So someone asked you a question. They said, at what point does a voiceover artist need to transition from an audition quality studio to broadcast quality? And you responded, when your clients and or agent require you to record final product in your studio. If all you need to do is audition, it's not a concern. When the time comes, you'll know and the pay rates will increase accordingly. Great. Now that is a great answer. I would say, I'm challenging you here, putting you on the spot. That's a great answer in 2009. Yeah. Would you <laughs> yeah. give the same answer today? Definitely not now. Um... Even a year ago, I would say before the pandemic and everything, I was telling people that you're, there's no such thing as audition quality per se anymore. And before offline, we were talking about how you can, you know, the more famous you are, the more you get away with, right? Like remember the pandemic yeah. started, there were talk shows hosted by the top talk show uh, um, talent, <laughs> I'd call it lightly, you know, in the US and they're phoning it in on crap in crappy sounding rooms and getting away yes. with it, right? Yeah. Um, and that's true in voiceover. If you're a celeb, uh, you're a star, you can, they want you because you're a celebrity. But if you're a nobody and you're just a talent that's behind the scenes, they're now not, they're not hiring you just on because of who you are or even how you act. They're hiring you now on how you sound and how your quality is. But 
flash forward to the pandemic and that whole thing has never been more you know poignant and now it's cemented it's like your sound of your audition is the is is it's your performance and it's your studio and production quality all of it is part of the audition now mm -hmm. so yeah if you had asked me that two years ago i would have changed my answer and if you asked me today definitely my answer is audition quality is a misnomer and and i'm hearing a lot from my clients who have a properly set up studio that their auditions finish so like they send in the audition and then they get a check and they're like yep. whoa i got a check in the mail i'm like yeah it's because your audition was ready it was production ready they were able to fly it into the production and it's finished so yeah is that even better reason to have a good sounding audition yeah. Yeah, and then there's a much higher chance of them booking you again because they didn't have to waste time doing anything to it. Exactly. The, the thing is, as a voice actor, it's not just about being an actor. It's about solving a problem. And if you solve the production's problem more easily, more quickly, efficiently than anybody else, but maybe, maybe let's say, for example, you charge more than everybody else or you know you're worth more, but you know that you can do it faster and better with more reliability and consistency, they're going to keep hiring you because you make their production flow way easier. So that's a big, that's a big thing. And there we are. We've just answered the question, which is how do I get repeat and referral work? Just do that. Oh, we just did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Consistency. Okay. So, Quality. Cons yeah. So, um, okay. Here's another one for you. Uh, have you got a favorite piece of gear? Oh boy. This one's hard because I have a favorite piece of gear, but it's not a piece of gear. I like to widely recommend to too many people. <laughs> so I will caveat, I will, I will give it, I'm going to give you two because I'm going to give you one. That's my favorite piece for really what most people really need. And I'll give you my favorite for what I think it's just an amazing piece of gear. So my favorite that is like just the perfect sol solve so many problems at a good price point with great quality and checks all the boxes is in my hand, it's called a Sentrance uh, Micport Pro 2. And what I love about this little doodad is that um, you'll have to look it up, but look up Micport Pro, one word, two. This is the new generation. For its size, there's nothing else that sounds better. So it's incredibly compact, which means it's fantastic for taking with you because so much of what we do someday will be recorded from the road. I have to keep rewinding and go, wait a minute, this is day. the pandemic, right? Yeah. But, a lot of voice actors have to work from the road, so you might as well have something that works just as well at home as on the road. It's got a battery inside, so it will run on iOS devices without any issues. Um, it has a limiter, so if you're doing crazy character voices, you get a little bit yeah. of a, you know, cover your butt with that, which is cool. It's got a high-pass filter. It's amazing. I mean, there's very few products that are even in the same price range that actually have all those features. So it's let it's alone designed, for, designed for location work for film, is it? You know, the the fellow, the, uh, his name's Michael Goodman, and the company's called Centrance, but with a C, like C Entrance. Um, he he just looks, he listens to the community, what people want. So this is something that came out of what people's needs were over the years for something that was very light, compact, compact, but also sounding good. And so I don't think this was ever designed with production mixing or anything like that in mind. Mm. Now, they have other products that are more in line with that. There's one called the Mixer Face that has a quarter 20 thread on it. Actually, it's funny. This one I'm holding, this little one has a quarter 20 thread on the bottom for mounting on camera gear. So I guess he gave it some thought. Um, but yeah, these are fantastic. Now on the other end of the spectrum, um, I'm a nut about the Apollo stuff from Universal Audio. Um, 
the Apollo Twin, and now the Apollo uh, Solo. Um, for what you can get out of that unit, it's flexibility, the quality, and then the, ac the access to myriad plugins, which emulate very well a huge array of uh, processors and preamps and limiters and compressors and cues and blah, 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 is awesome in the right hands. Um, if you're just starting out, it's completely a wasted money. It's completely too complicated. Uh, it has a steep learning curve. But if, if you're at a certain point in your career where you want to amp up your competitiveness and your ability to, to produce audio very quickly, or if you're getting recorded live a lot, like Source Connect style, yeah. then some of that extra little bit of help could be really worth your while. So that for that reason, I'm, I've been installing and consulting up on people's Apollo setups for since they came out. I think it's been like 10 years almost since they yeah, came yeah, out. Yeah. They're really amazing. You're right. In the right hands. That was a In key, the right hands. Phrase there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't use the Apollo stuff. I've got a, a number of pieces of kit from Universal Audio. Uh, mm -hmm. but I've heard, you know, obviously I've heard lots of good stuff about them and, and the ability Are you more of a physical gear guy? Like do you have, do you have a lot you know, of the rack gear, the real, the real deal? Well, you, you probably see in my, my see old some stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, the, you know, I've, I've gone from physical gear because of, I suppose, coming from that band background of plugging sure. stuff in. Mm -hmm. And then I went probably about 10 years ago, I went entirely software. Uh, and I've used you know, every plugin going, or tried every plugin going. Sure. And yeah, absolutely, they can, they can, they can do it, or they can approximate it. Um, and then I missed the tac missed the tactile aspect of it. I actually developed yeah. RSI, um, unfortunately, from from using a, a, an Apple uh, trackpad. Um, uh, yeah, and it took me ages to realize what it was. It was. Was just doing so everything with one my, of these. Yeah, one of those. You, you get one of those that I use every day. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, <laughs> oh, I, no. I ended up I ended up uh, absolutely killing it from um, yeah a lot of production work and uh, yeah, you, you're realizing you're doing everything with just the movement of, of a thumb. One so thing, I ended yeah. up going back to control surfaces. Mm -hmm. um, I've ended up going back to hardware rack gear as well. Um, I like a little bit of. Um, I like to, more recently, it's only in the last year or so, I like to kind of print it on the way in more. Mm, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially, like you were saying with the Universal Audio stuff for live sessions, to know that what they are receiving is the end product and they're not going to have to do anything with it. Yeah. And I they're hearing that. it and they're approving it, right? Because they're hearing yeah. it as yeah. it's going to sound. And, exactly. and I'll get in arguments with my buddies on the Pro Audio Suite. This is one of my podcasts that I'm on. Slipped in a plug there. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> we get in arguments, right? Because we got two producers on that show that produce voiceover. And they hate it when a voiceover puts processing on their audio. But the fact of the matter is, is like a large percentage of the work that you're going to be getting, especially in the first 10 years of your career, will probably have no audio engineer in the, pro in the production flow. I hate to say it. Yeah. It's sad. But they're just taking your audio and throwing it into a timeline on Final Cut. And that's yeah. it, right? So if you don't do it, they ain't going to do it because they don't know any better. And that's the sad, sad state of affairs. So you, if you put the right amount on, just the right amount, yeah. I, use a, yeah. I use a makeup a makeup analogy. You see a woman with the right amount of makeup, and you're like, is she even wearing makeup? And then you see someone <laughs> with the wrong makeup, yeah. you're like, Ugh. 
You know, it's like, it's just got to be the right amount, just the right. Yeah. I love, I love that analogy. I I love that. The, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, when you hear stuff that you've recorded or, 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 or colleagues and you hear it out there, and it's clearly not been worked on or the person working yeah. on it didn't know how to mix it with the music or, or whatever. And yeah. obviously then that in a way is then out there and, and, and represents them. They then can't use that on any kind of show reel or they definitely shouldn't do. Uh, right. It just sounds right. Yeah. I mean, when my stuff goes out there, I, I want it to sound like a final product when, when it gets to the client. I don't want them to have to do anything to it and keep it transparent. Make it, you know, mm-hmm. as long as they can't, I've always said the same thing to everyone I work with, as long as they can't hear the processing taking place. Oh God, that's exactly what I say. Yeah. It's like uh, all the best effects and all the best films that are like, you know, historically accurate movies and things, the effects, there's millions of visual effects, right? All digital paintings and backdrops and anim- yeah, yeah. you don't even know they're there. And the better the effects and processing is, the less somebody will know it's being used. Um, you know, yeah, it yeah. should be transparent. The only one that's going to know or should care would be a recording engineer. And in that case, if you are recording for an engineer or they're recording you live, like with Source Connect, and they say, please turn off that expander, I can hear it, then you turn it off. You know, you give them what they want as long as they know what they're doing. But on the other end of the spectrum, a lot of it doesn't go down that way. And yeah, you want to use that. Don't be afraid to have the conversation prior prior to a session. Don't be too subversive. And if you feel it out and you realize they don't know even what you're talking about, you know, go for it. <laughs> Lay it on because <laughs> they, they, they don't know any better. On the subject of, of live sessions uh, uh, and people receiving your audio, you know, there and then in that moment, which for, for many people who've got their sort of duvet over the head style studios is very, very daunting. Um, what tips would you give to people to, I suppose, negate the nerves in the lead up to one of those remote sessions? Yeah, that's it's really anxiety building, especially when you're at home and you know you don't have control over your environment. Um, I think what you just said is a good point. I think you should know who the client is. I think you should have at some point spoken to them and let them know about the parameters of your production environment, okay? Because at this point, you're already hired, right? They've already heard you. They've already heard you ostensibly from that exact space. They know what you're capable of doing, but they need to know in advance that you are not in a uh, controlled environment. You're not in an isolation booth. You know, you're not, you're in a home. And so, you know, the more that is, the more there's an understanding as to what their expectations will be, I think the less anxiety you're, you're going to have. And um, I think that's a big one, just communication. Um, and then if it, there's that, that dog next door that you didn't even know was there because somebody's friend's visiting. Now there's a freaking dog on the other side of the wall. At least you can, oh, damn, I'm so sorry. You can at least hopefully have a little bit of a chuckle about it. They're not all going to be patient and that's going to happen. But they, everybody is in the same boat. Almost everybody is in the same boat. They're all at home. So I think because of that, it's a little less, I think it's less stressful. I'm not an actor, so I don't know. I'm not living on it, living it on their end. But I'm just, I'm a human. I understand human nature. And if everybody's in the same situation, they're all dealing with their own kids making noise in the other room and all the other distractions of life that they're also dealing with. Mm -hmm. 
it's a little easier when there's an occasional interruption from from your end. But as long as they know you've done your due diligence, you're a professional, you've tried, you've done all the preparations that are reasonable, that's fine. And, uh, and, if, you, and if you end up booking that big gig, then maybe you do spend $10,000 on a Studio Bricks booth or something yeah. like that. And you earn it through yeah, those yeah. through those wins, you know? Yeah, when, when your business justifies it. Mm-hmm. George, thank you so much. I've, I'm going to now ask you, like in that Hot Wings Challenge, to promote something. I know you've actually got a product, haven't you? So uh, take it away. What is your product? I helped co-develop with a voice actor client of mine, longtime client, uh, Rick Wasserman, a product called Tribooth. And it's, it's a portable recording environment. Like take those portable booth things you've seen that you unfold on your desk and take it to the next level. And that's what this is. It, it folds out. You can stand inside. It's got a place for all of your accessories, your microphone mount, your tablet holder. It's all in there. Even a nice lighting, everything you need to, to work and do sessions uh, is in this one place. So if you're interested in it, we have shipped some to Australia. So I know we've started shipping them occasionally overseas, um, but you can check it out at Tribooth, T-R-I, Tribooth. Dot com. And uh, if you want to find my world, I'm at georgethe.tech. George, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on with this. Hope to catch up with you again sometime. This was a lot of fun, and I'm so glad we have a time constraint because we would just do this all day. In episode seven, I'm chatting with Stelios from Accusonus, who creates some fantastic user-friendly tools that can really speed up your voiceover recording process. If you struggle with noise issues in your recordings, you'll definitely want to tune in for that episode. I'm Guy Michaels. Thanks for listening.